Would you please stand as you are able for the reading of today's word? The reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good evening, friends. I am uh, doing everything in my power right now to contain my giddiness of seeing all of you in person. So many of you, more than I even expected or imagined, are able to be here tonight. And I'm so thankful that so many of you I know are creating your own sacred space at home. And so wherever you are, whether you are right here or In your home, I am so comforted by our connection, by Christ's spirit. Some of you were here just a few days ago on Palm Sunday, and I can't tell you how good it felt to see palms being waved in this space. What a joyful sight it was. Even It was even a joyful sight to watch the palms being laid out in preparation for you, knowing that you were coming. Such a joyful sight. And these sounds, children's voices and giggles while they're waving their branches with enthusiasm in the very back of the sanctuary, kind of like they're getting away with something they weren't supposed to be doing. Sounds of hosannas, so bright and strong and full of possibility. But tonight ushers in a shift in tone, a shift in momentum for our Holy Week. Maundy Thursday is a really challenging, mightily uncomfortable day of transition. Tonight we watch as the light begins to darken and shadows lengthen and we brace for the horrific impact of Good Friday. And I imagine for many of us, there is a great temptation to skip these dark days altogether because under the shadow of the year that we have just survived, and the global pandemic that we are still enduring, maybe we've earned our Easter hallelujahs without inviting any more darkness. My kids are so excited about Easter this year. James is five and Abby's three. They're at this great age for retelling stories. James says, mommy, did you know that Jesus died on the biggest cross in the whole world for our sins because he loved us? And did you know that he got up and lived again? And Abby says, mommy, Jesus, he died, but then he growed and he got big. (laughs) Frankly, the last 13 months have been so filled with sorrow and loss and fear that joining Jesus' first disciples in theirs seems so much more unpleasant than usual. I want to skip the part that hurts. I want to skip right to the part where he lived again, where he growed and he got big. But we do have to make this turn. We have to join them, those disciples, for this night gathered round a table 
in an upper room for a meal with friends. I want to invite you to that table for a minute, invite you to pull up a seat and take a closer look. So according to ancient Roman Jewish culture and a few clues that we get from scripture, we can imagine a different sort of table for the Last Supper than the one that we have grown to picture in our minds, thanks in large part to Leonardo da Vinci. So it's Thursday and it's just before the sun is setting and Jesus and his disciples, his very best friends, have gathered in a large upper room in Jerusalem. The table was very likely actually in the shape of a U called a triclinium. And if you want to picture it, you can imagine an upside down U, seats along the left, seats across the top, seats down the right, an open space here in the middle for additional food or for servants to move about during the night. There was likely not a chair as you might imagine it for each of the guests, but instead the table would have probably sat pretty low to the floor and there would have been room for dining at each dining place, the room for lounging. Guests would lay over on their left side on their elbow facing in, leaving their right arm open to eat. They would lean back and speak to the person to their left and the person on their right could actually lay comfortably on their chest. It was a truly comfortable meal. It was intimate. They're sharing space and sharing nourishment. They're sharing themselves with their friends in the most basic way with time and conversation and food. So the host of a meal would sit on the left-hand side of the U, the second seat from the end, and the guest of honor would seat to his, sit to his left and a trusted friend to his right. The servant, if there was a servant, would sit opposite the trusted friend so he could easily get up on the other end to get food as the night went on. If Jesus followed that dining tradition, and scripture indicates that he likely did, then Jesus would have been seated in the place of the host, second from the left. And gospel text suggests that John, the beloved disciple, was seated to Jesus' right, not surprisingly, in the place of the trusted friend. And we glean from gospel text that Judas was seated to Jesus' left, in the seat of honor, Jesus had knowingly seated the one preparing to betray him in the seat of honor. And we learn that Peter was across from John, Peter the chief apostle in the seat of the servant. Peter, who would soon protest this foot washing, had to watch Jesus wash the feet of each of the other disciples as he moved around the table before he reached him last. Agony for Peter. Even in the seating arrangement, Jesus was communicating this incredibly powerful message. He showed love for his betrayer, and he showed love for his denier. In John's depiction of this meal, Jesus predicts Judas' betrayal, and then he immediately gives them the love commandment. I give you a new commandment, he says, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The betrayal to the love commandment immediately to the prediction of Peter's denial. 
couched between betrayal and denial, Jesus commands love. Between Judas' decision to betray and Peter's decision to deny his identity as a disciple, Jesus commands love. He was committing himself to love the one who would walk out on him, committing himself to love the one who would pretend like he never knew him. Jesus' love could cover anything. But before he was betrayed, he simply had this meal with his followers and his friends. They ate this really big, full meal, a big meal. And the table was set with bread and wine for everyone as well. With a full belly after the meal was over, Jesus would have sat up off his elbow. He would have reached for a loaf of bread. He couldn't recline on that one arm anymore and just eat with the other. He needed to sit upright and have both hands for this moment. He held that loaf of bread in his hands and he paused. I imagine that he just took a deep breath in and he remembered that God, his father, is closer to him than the air that he breathes and he looked around at his friends. He looked around at these guys who had trusted him enough to leave their careers and follow him. He looked around into the eyes of these guys who at first totally could not understand why they were socializing with prostitutes and tax collectors. He paused and made meaningful eye contact with each of these men who had learned to be brave in the face of challenges, who had learned to trust the hospitality of strangers, who had learned to challenge the status quo, had learned the value of grace over law. He looked into the faces of these men who were his family. And he did all of this knowing what was about to happen to him, knowing the one to his left was going to betray him, knowing the one across from him would deny their relationship, knowing that all of them would spend the next few days living out their worst nightmare, watching their dearest friend and teacher die a brutal death and fearing that they would be next. So he held the modest loaf of bread and then he tore it in half. He said, this is my body. This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup of wine and steadily cradled it between both hands and he looked at each of them again. And maybe this time with a little bit of a lump in his throat and frankly a broken heart maybe even the faintest quiver in his voice, he said, this is my cup. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus is looking at his dear friends and he's asking them to share in this meal again and again once he's gone. He wants to know that they will gather around the table and that they'll tell stories. He wants to know that they're gonna recline and rest from their continued ministry. He wants to know that they will be full and faithful. He wants to know they're gonna repeat this ritual of bread and wine and wants to know they'll remember this new covenant every time they partake it. He wants to know that they will extend this table to all who would come. Do this in remembrance of me, won't you? When I'm gone, remember what we've been through. Remember how much you've grown. Remember how far we've come together. Remember what I've taught you. Remember how anxious you were when we first started dining with sinners and remember how safe you feel 
in their presence now. Remember so that you can take each step with confidence and strength. Do this and remember me so that you do not forget our mission. Many of you know that I spend a lot of time with people at the end of life. I spent more time up close with death and dying before COVID, but now I spend more time over the phone talking to the people who love the one who is in their final days. And there's something so simple, but so certain that I have learned in this work. Dying people know they're dying. Even when they don't say it, and even when no one tells them, they know. And even through their pain, they will do everything left in their power to make sure the ones they love are going to be okay. They will whisper to their adult children instructions to make sure that their spouse will be taken care of. They will hang on through holidays to make sure grief isn't tangled up in a joyful day. They will even wait until the one they love most gives them verbal permission to go. Through sweet, loving, heartbroken tears, their spouse or their child will say something like, we'll be okay. You've done everything you can for us. You've given us everything. We'll miss you, but we'll be okay. Jesus knew he was dying. And he was doing everything left in his power to make sure that the ones he loved were going to be okay. He was doing everything in his power to make sure that they were ready and that they were equipped, showing his concern for the community he leaves behind, his concern for their character and their life together and their unity, his concern for the witness that they would continue to bear in the world. And by sharing this meal with them, they were saying, we'll be okay. You've done everything you can for us. You've given us everything. We will miss you. And we're even a little scared but we'll be okay. When Jesus gave his disciples this ritual, he was securing the church's future. This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In a few moments, with only a few words, Jesus established a ritual at a table surrounded by his friends, a sustainable ritual that would last for generations to come. He didn't establish a complex ritual. He gave them something that they could easily repeat it could be repeated in every place by all people in all times. He established a ritual at the place that was the very center of the home, the center of community, the center of shared life, a table ritual. He gave them two symbols, bread and cup. He gave them two actions, eat and drink. He gave them two instructions, do this often and remember me when you do. Remembering is important work. I've been doing a lot of remembering lately. I'm suspicious that maybe you have too. My photo app in my phone, if you have one of these, it's been helping a lot, even uninvited. On this day, a year ago, it tells me, it's reminded me every day for weeks now, March 10th, 2020, at Disney World with my husband, Michael, and our then four-year-old, sanitizing hands a little bit more, but nothing too crazy. March 15th, 2020, canceling the kid's birthday party because things were locking down. Two weeks to flatten the curve, you know. 
March 18th, 2020, learning the first person we actually know has tested positive. March 19th, 2020, scarcity fear is settling in. Keeping track of basic supplies and food, sending picture to my parents so they'll know we're okay. March 20th, 2020, learning the first person we actually know has died of COVID. March 22nd, 2020, leading worship in this empty sanctuary for the first time. March 25th, 2020, the basketball hoops have come down at our park. April 1st, 2020, exactly one year ago today, at church right here in the portico, collecting prayer shawls that you have knit and masks that you had sewn for our first responders in desperate need. Now, I am not bringing all this up for some weird form of therapy. (laughs) It's just to make a point that remembering is really hard work. It's really hard work, and our bodies can do the work of remembering for us sometimes. I've noticed, I don't know if you have, but I've noticed a lot of folks have been kind of down lately, shorter-tempered and tired, kind of over it, this new phase of pandemic weariness, and I'm suspicious that our bodies are remembering trauma of the early days of this whole thing, remembering the last time things were normal and the first time things were different, the first time things were scary, the first time isolation and separation was truly heartbreaking, the first time that the news hit too close to home, all those firsts, and we remember, we do this remembering to reorient ourselves to put things back together, to make sense of things, to make sense of where we've been and what we've overcome, to celebrate how we've grown and to honor the pain that we have of all that we've lost. And we remember in part because we are so desperate to remember. Remembering is the act of putting the pieces back together again. It's not just mental recall. It's an opportunity to heal brokenness and resolve divisions made in us. Remembering helps us to knit together the past and the present. And as we are passing this year mark, we'll keep remembering. We don't only remember the painful parts of the years. We don't only remember the people we've lost and the experiences that we've missed, the angst we've endured. We also remember the beauty We remember the kindness of neighbors and the selflessness of frontline workers. We remember the sacrifices made to show love and we remember the ways our faith sustained us. We remember both the darkness and the beauty of this year so that we can put the pieces back together. So we can resolve divisions and disorientation so we can knit together what we have survived and where we are now. When we remember Jesus, the Christ, and the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, we are not only remembering the ugly parts of these days, not just the betrayer, not just the denier. We're not just remembering the fear and the darkness that settled in. We're not only remembering the ones plotting outside to take him in. We're not only remembering the sadness of the Christ who would have loved to just stick around with his friends a little longer. We're not just remembering the flicker of the tear in his eyes. We're also remembering the intimacy of this beautiful meal and this gathering of friends. We're remembering the comfort of the beloved disciple who felt safe enough to rest his head on Jesus' chest. We're remembering the tender way he washed their filthy feet. We're remembering the ease with which they spoke to each other. We're remembering the joy of friendship, the power in a shared mission and purpose. We're remembering the new covenant he established and the instruction to enjoy this meal as often as we can. Paul concludes his retelling of the sacramental act saying, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For most of the last year, you have celebrated this meal in your home. 
You've received the bread and cup separated from anyone else if you live alone. You've received it alongside maybe a spouse. You've received it with your kids, possibly in total chaos. But for the most part, the meal has felt pretty different. You're not waiting for the ushers to dismiss you from your pew. You're not opening your hands to receive a wad of Hawaiian bread. And you're not waiting to dip it in the communal cup of Welch's. You're not kneeling at this broken altar to thank God for this gift, to repent, to call on Jesus for healing and hope. You're just at home, eating receiving the gift with very little pomp and circumstance, but you're not just eating. You are being made whole. You're doing the work of remembering. You're reorienting yourself. You're putting things back together. Every time you come to the table, you're making sense of where you fit into God's story. You're knitting together the stories of every beloved disciple of Jesus Christ who has ever received the gift of bread and cup with your own story as you pull up a seat. Tonight and every time we take a seat at Christ's table, we are returning to the upper room with his disciples and looking on in awestruck love at the gesture of Jesus, the host. Tonight and every time we take a seat at Christ's table, we're rehearsing God's story, remembering who we are and to whom we belong. Tonight and every time we take a seat at Christ's table, we are proclaiming Christ's death again. Tonight and every time we take a seat at Christ's table, we are saying, God, I need your grace. Tonight and every time we take a seat at Christ's table, we are choosing to examine our lives and confront our brokenness. Tonight and every time we take a seat at Christ's table, we are acknowledging the division that's within us and between ourselves and others, and we are answering the call to reconciliation. Tonight and every time we take a seat at Christ's table, we are sent out to cultivate peace, to move toward justice, to break down barriers, to build bridges, and to love our neighbors and ourselves. Tonight and every time we take a seat at Christ's table, we remember that Christ's overwhelming love for us is for us even when we are the betrayer and even when we are the denier in front of him. Tonight and every night, Every time we take a seat at Christ's table, our lives are changed by the host who serves us. And because that work of remembering is so hard, we have to repeat the act over and over again. Because the work is so hard, we need the repetition to help reinforce both the memory and the message. So take a seat at this table again and again. From here, you'll be sent out to love one another But so much more importantly than that, you will hear at this table Christ say, as I have loved you, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Do this again and again and remember Christ's love for you in your bones. Remember Jesus Christ's deep love for all people. Remember his gentleness and his faithfulness. Remember his loving kindness to the ones who would hurt him. Remember his forgiveness that is ready to receive you. Remember his readiness to embrace you as you are. Remember that you are his beloved, his trusted friend sitting to his right. Remember that the broken bread is for Jesus' broken friends. Remember that there is always a seat for you at this table and always room for anyone ready to receive the gifts of love and grace. This is my body 
that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember again and again, come back to the table to remember. Amen.